By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which he figuratively speaking, he did, re- he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. And the gospel lesson is Luke 13, 10 through 17. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had, who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman and daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, And all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thank you, Rob. Um, Good morning. It's good to be here with you and looking at God's word together and worship. Um, If you notice a note in your order of worship that this, we've been doing a sermon series on this topic of the Sabbath uh, and joy and, and rest. And before we read our passage from Deuteronomy, uh, I want to take a couple of minutes to give a, a summary of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks and then set the context for our passage uh, going forward. And so I want to share with you three quotes from kind of recent scholarship or journalism that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. And they go like this, Americans work too much. This is not a matter of opinion so much as a factual point of international comparison. The U.S. worker labors more hours than her counterpart in just about every similar country. If the average American worked as much as the typical German, she'd have about 30 extra days off a year. That's a free six-week vacation in exchange for embracing the famously leisurely work habits of Germany. Another scholar writes, we live in an economy and society that are demanding too much from people. And another voice, most Americans, although they've been taught that they should use time well, it now feels that many people, to to many people, like time is using them. I read those again because I imagine that if you're like me, that you can relate to what these things are pointing to, a weariness, 
that is present in these observations. And so that sets maybe the context of what we experience in our culture and society. And last week we looked at the question, though, around this, of the question, is rest a virtue? Is rest a virtue? In a culture that wears busyness as a badge of honor, is the idea of stopping and resting, wasting time even, a virtue? Our sermon series is around this idea of rest and joy through the scriptural concept of Sabbath. Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to rest or to cease. And scripture says that this stopping, this intentional times of rest, is a gift from God, meant for our delight and our refreshment. Many cultures have creation stories, creation stories about how things arrived and who we are. The Jewish creation story is unique in its discussion and its emphasis on rest. After creating the heavens and earth, God rested. He takes pleasure in what he made, and he invites all of us to set aside time to enjoy the good gifts of God the fruitfulness of this world, our lives and our connections to others, and even the fruit of our own work, that we can step back and enjoy it. Rest is not just mentioned in creation, though, in the Scriptures. God puts rest as one of His Ten Commandments. Think about this, that it is listed there, the ten things He wants to shape His people around. It's listed as keeping the Sabbath day to rest, held up there alongside of do not murder, And do not steal. And so this morning we're going to look at the Ten Commandments to set some context that specifically the fourth commandment observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. As part of God's plan to form a people and to bring blessing to all the nations, God set Israel free from Egypt. And after that rescue out of slavery in Egypt, God gives them His law to tell them how they are to live in His grace, to tell them what it looks like to be his people, how to be a light to the nations. And at the heart of that law are the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments serve as a guide and a map, not just for Israel, but for all humanity, about how to live a holy and healthy life. They address the fundamental duty of humans to love God and love our neighbor, In the Scripture, the Ten Commandments are listed two times, once in Exodus and once in the book of Deuteronomy. And the fourth commandment, to keep the Sabbath day holy, is the longest of the Ten Commandments, and unlike all the other ones, it's different in the two places of the Ten Commandments. There's a difference in Exodus and Deuteronomy. They have the same requirement, work on six days, but one day rest, but they give different reasons, different motivations for why we should have intentional times of rest. And over the next two Sundays, we're going to look at these two commandments, one in Exodus and one in Deuteronomy, to ask again, what does rest mean for us personally, but also what it means for us relationally? And the question that we'll look at today, or look at Deuteronomy, I think the question underlying this is how does our busyness prevent us from seeing others? How does our commitment to being productive or making sure everything is done obscure us, our sight? The commandment we'll hear today speaks of freedom, 
but it puts forth an idea that weariness obscures our vision, why rest helps us to see, to see especially those it's easy to overlook. So let's look at our passage. This is from Deuteronomy 5, verse 12 through 15. This is the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments from God. And follow in your order of worship uh, or your Bible, or you can just listen as I read it for us. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for gathering us here in your name, and we come as people who know what it is to be weary and know the hope and the joy of resting and finding connection again. So Lord, we come and we ask that you would help us to hear from your word that we may see beyond ourselves or all the demands on us, and that by your spirit you'd help us to find our identity, our way in, in who you are, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we go through our sermon this morning, there's going to be two sections, two parts. One, I want to think about freedom remembered, and the second part will be freedom practiced. Freedom remembered and freedom practiced. And so freedom remembered, what do we notice about this command from Deuteronomy? I don't know about you, but one of the things that stands out is the list of all the people who should get to rest. Everyone, the property owner, sons, daughters, all the servants, they get the rest too, even the ox, the donkey, all the animals, the foreigner, the, the one who is on a sojourn through the land. The Sabbath is set forth as a day of rest for all, not just for the wealthy or the powerful. The animals, the slaves or servants, the foreigner, all those who did not have assured, assured rights or protection, they are listed as those as with you, they too shall rest. And why this emphasis on everyone, this universal experience of rest? Well, God gives the reason that you shall remember you were slaves in Egypt, and I brought you out. You see here, remember has two components. There's remember that you were slaves, that you suffered, but also remember that God rescued you, God brought you out. Remember that you were a slave, that you suffered. This phrase is mentioned 36 times just in the first five Old Testament books alone. This repeated refrain that God wants his people to remember Remember your suffering. And we can think amongst our own lives, think about the ways that maybe we have been mistreated, that we have suffered or lost, been hurt. And this remembering allows us to live in a different way, with empathy. It allows us to see others and even see their suffering. So God reminds Israel, saying, render justice, render comfort 
to the means of your memory, to what you've experienced. Acknowledge and protect the socially weak. Do not treat them the way that you were treated. You see, the slaves had no experience of rest in the imperial economy of ancient Egypt. To build the monumental architecture that characterized the empire, human labor and human lives were burned up, disposable. Pharaoh and his taskmasters demanded ever more and more production. And these hostile conditions led the weary people, the weary people to cry out to God. Remember you were a slave. But also remember the Lord brought you out. The exodus from Egypt was a one-time event, but the ongoing day of rest, the Sabbath, was to be a reminder of God's work to confront Pharaoh. Here's the good news. Remember the good news that your life, your value, your purpose, your identity as a child of God rests in the actions of God for you, not in the demands or the evaluations of Pharaoh or any other power that would seek to tell you who you are. If we see it in this way, the Sabbath rest is the subversive act. In the pride, Pharaoh and all the leaders that would follow Pharaoh's ways, in pride, they might imagine that the world belongs to me, that I can have humans work towards my ends. But God in the Exodus reminds those powers and reminds all the people that such claims are false. Remember, the world belongs to the creator of heaven and earth, and all those who bear God's image cannot be reduced down to a commodity or a cog in a machine. The people are being invited to take a break in the midst of their daily work, their schedules, to remember God's rescue. And as we gather here as Christians in Jesus' name, we remember that the Exodus ultimately points towards the work of Jesus. The Exodus was God rescuing the people of Israel out of slavery, and it points to Jesus who brings an Exodus for for us, for his people as well. That Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection assert that he, not Pharaoh or any other powers, that Jesus is Lord. And therefore, in the face of all the powers and demands that would seek to tell us who we are, what we have to do, Jesus sets us free and claims us as his own. Think again about what the good news of Christianity says about the Exodus, that on the cross, Jesus entered into all of our failures, even into our evil, the brokenness within us. He entered into our hurt. On the cross, he faced all the things that would tell us who we are. And on the cross, he even entered into our death. And in the resurrection, Jesus emerges victorious over our sin over the powers that would seek to claim us, and over death. Therefore, the good news tells you and me that Jesus has the right, He alone has the right to claim us and tell us who we are and what it means to be human. The cross and the resurrection say that we do not belong to the gods that enslave us with endless busyness or endless production. Maybe we can think about that experience in our life. Maybe we know what it is to be set free by God's grace. Or maybe it's something that we are just beginning to think about or long for. To think that in our hurt or in our mistreatment, 
that in our failures or in our guilt and shame that would drop our heads, Jesus offers us a new and final word. Maybe the slavery, the only slavery that you know is the slavery that you have to meet everyone's expectations, that you need to be a good person who has things together and can take care of whatever is put upon you. Jesus knows what that slavery and bondage is. And he's come to break that apart and say that you are free in him. That is the final word of our lives. Not our production, not the demands or evaluations, but Christ's grace for us. And the people of God were invited on a weekly basis to remember this, to remember God's actions for them in the midst of their suffering. And through that, they could have a lens to see themselves and see others. Not as Pharaoh saw. Pharaoh saw people, men and women, as actors, as parts of his story, what he was going to accomplish. But through the lens of Jesus, we're invited to see ourselves and others as made in God's image, that all that we have is a gift from God, and therefore that we act with grace and humility, bringing us back to the everyone of the command, everyone should rest, that we see everyone, no matter their station or power, as one made by God, protected and loved by God. So this is the Sabbath rest that we're invited to in Deuteronomy, to remember freedom, to remember our freedom. And it leads, though, to a practice of freedom. The second part of the sermon, that this remembering of the Sabbath as an interruption moves towards God saying, practice it, keep it. Practice this freedom that is true. There's a scholar named Patrick Miller who calls this language of Deuteronomy the Sabbath principle. This idea that when we stop and take a rest, when we say that God's in control or that God has made me and therefore I can rest in God's work for me, that we're entering in not just to a moment but to this principle about how God is and how God sees us. And the principle at this root is setting forth a community that sees and welcomes all because God sees and values all, even the little ones or the vulnerable ones. See, beyond the Sabbath day of rest, Deuteronomy has a number of other sections that talk about this kind of Sabbath principle. In Deuteronomy 15, we hear that there is every seven years to be a year of release, which meant that all debts were to be canceled throughout the land of Israel. Think about that for a moment. Every debt, every financial debt, was canceled every seven years. What a staggering way the community would be changed. And not only was debt to be canceled, but the instructions of the law were that yet those who were set free from their debt were to be given enough goods to have a new start. Generosity from their neighbors. Deuteronomy 23-25 through 25 expands on this idea, giving direction about how to protect the poor from predatorial practices. There was restrictions on how much interest could be charged on loans, limits on the amount of loan collateral concerning the poor, prohibitions about withholding payments for laborers, provisions for widows and orphans and immigrants telling the farmers to leave certain amounts of their harvest for the poor. And all these laws echo the Sabbath, that all humans, 
no matter one's wealth or power, are given status and given a place in God's community and protection. The principle being that the law welcomes and cares for the poor as a litmus test. The law will only be kept if the poor are cared for. We're invited in to think about social relationships that are defined with the community being neighbors, connected. An economy of highly neighborly practices that curb excessive greed for the purpose of dignity and respect. Now we should stop and say that it is clear throughout history of Israel and the scriptures that such commandments of canceling debt or leaving part of your crop for others were met with stiff resistance. We can imagine that for all of us, right? What do you mean I'm supposed to cancel the debt? There's even language in there when you're approaching the seventh year, you're still supposed to get a loan, even though you know it's supposed to be can- it's going to be canceled soon. We can imagine people being like, no, thank you. The language, though, the language and the ideas may be dismissed even now in our setting as naive or unrealistic. And I'm not suggesting that we take Old Testament laws and just make them ours. But I want us to feel what's happening in these principles the Sabbath commandment, and all those things around the idea of seeing everyone, especially the weak and vulnerable, they are intended to interrupt the way we go about our lives, to interrupt society, to set forth a different way of being and seeing, a different way of thinking about God's gifts and the abundance of the world, a different way of thinking about our neighbors. Therefore, it makes sense that we would feel them pushing into us and even us wanting to resist them At the heart of this principle is this affirmation that one's life, one's value is a gift and not an accomplishment. That our well-being and worth are not established by endless productivity. So why is this seeing so important? Why is this seeing, especially of those that are easy to overlook, why is it so important? And I want us to hear that the Sabbath principle is not just about Deuteronomy, this ancient book, not about some laws that are shocking. The reason this idea of seeing is so important is it reveals the heart of our God. Who is God? In Israel, one of the ways that God revealed himself is, I am the God, I am the God of the widow and the orphan and the sojourner, the alien. I'm the God of the vulnerable. In Psalm 102, we're invited to praise God for all generations, tell the next generation about the glory of God. And what are we supposed to tell them in particular? That the God of all heaven hears and sees the cries and prayers of the lowly. That's our God. And the Sabbath invites us to consider such a practice, not just for us personally, but for our community. How would it be different if we saw in that same way The practice of rest rejected the brutality of imperial Egypt, but the repetitive nature of it also acted as a call for Israel to fight against their own idolatry of work or finances. You see, God gives these things and reminds the people through the prophets that they can be enslaved again, not to a foreign power, but to their own ambitions their own fear of scarcity, their own greed, 
their own pressures about getting ahead or controlling their lives. And so the gift Sabbath rest was a gift, a gift to the community to challenge the violence of overwork, kind of mindless accumulation, the temptation to think that I'll be okay and control my life if I have enough, this endless multiplication of desires or responsibilities or accomplishments. It was an attempt to remind us that busyness obscures our vision. I don't know if you guys remember the Veggie Tales. There is, you know, these children's cartoons that were made telling Bible stories, and the characters were vegetables. <laughs> if you haven't seen them, you should check it out, maybe on YouTube. Main characters are Bob the Tomato and Larry the Cucumber, and there's some that are pretty good. But one I always remember, and it's been part of our kind of family culture, is the one about the Good Samaritan. You know, the story of there was a, a, an Israelite that fell among the robbers, laying there in great need, and there was a priest and a Levite who walked past without any desire to stop and help. Only eventually it was a hated Samaritan that stopped and helped this person. But in VeggieTales, as the priest and as the Levite go past the one in help, not only do they walk past, but they sing this song, I'm busy, I'm busy, terribly busy. You have no idea how much I have to do. I'm busy, I'm busy, terribly busy. You have no idea how much I have to do. Somehow in the life of our family, we sometimes have said that to one another as we get stressed out. Sometimes it's really great to break the ice. Sometimes it doesn't really go that well, <laughs> depending on how high the stress level is. <clears throat> but we know what that's like. That even the people of God, Israel, who received this law, all sorts of pressures that make it hard for us to see, to see a neighbor. And I know that we are busy, but it's worth us asking, how does busyness, how does busyness prevent you from seeing others? How does our weariness obscure our vision? We remember the freedom, but God invites us to practice it. We live in a setting that does not value rest, that puts great pressure on us to produce and take care of things, to get ahead, to secure your spot, endless pressure to achieve the right school, the right job, the right success, able to do whatever is before you, whatever task your family or work requires of you. I imagine all of us know that in some way. Economic forces, but not just economic ones. Culture putting pressure on us about our time and what we take care of. And in that setting, God calls us to not be like the taskmasters of Egypt. To care for ourselves and to care for those in the sphere of our life. We don't have oxen, I imagine. I don't imagine that we have male servants or female servants. But some of us have households, spouses, other family members, children. And so when you think about busyness, especially in a relational way, we can ask what kind of pressures we put on ourselves. What other kind of pressures or pace do we put on our children? There's an article in the Harvard Review titled, The Children We Mean to Raise, The Real Messages Adults Are Sending to Their Kids. Here's a section of that article. As anyone who has been called out for hypocrisy by a small child knows, kids are 
attuned to gaps between what grown-ups say and what grown-ups do. If you survey American parents about what they want for their kids, more than 90% say that their top priority is that their child would be caring. Their children would be caring. This makes sense. Kindness and concern for others are held as a moral virtue in nearly all societies. But when you ask children what their parents want for them, 81% of the children say their parents value achievement over caring. 81% say their parents value achievement over caring. Busyness and weariness obscures and rest teaches us to see the pressures that we have in our life, the productivity that we're set before us, this desire to take care of things can obscure our vision even of those in our own household. So part of what this journey about the Sabbath and rest might put before us is to ask how can we protect those in our household from the pressures to always be productive, to never waste time but always get something done? How might we bless them with rest? We heard in our passage from Luke 13 that Rob read that Jesus was criticized for healing a woman on the Sabbath. And his response when this criticism comes up is, what better day than the Sabbath? What better day than this day of interruption and rest to release a woman from bondage, from one who was weighed down and burdened? You see, in this picture that Jesus is offering us, he's offering us the Sabbath as this great stone that falls and breaks the flow of the water of all the pressures and the busyness to be productive, to take care of things. The Sabbath is like a stone that interrupts it, inviting us to rest and remember there's something more than our own actions, our own production, our own resources. There's the God who made you and loves you in Christ. And claiming that freedom is not hard is, is, is hard, I should say, is very hard. Especially in our culture, it's hard to claim such freedom. And we need one another to remind us of that. To remember that after worship, many of us, what we need most is time with loved ones, not useful time for playing next week's schedule, but time wasted on pleasures of being together, enjoying food or creation, hobbies, or just resting. And for others, what we need is times of quiet and solitude reading, prayer, reflection, to remember in the midst of our lives that God cares for us and invites us to stop, to see ourselves and our neighbors in a new way. In such a time, the Sabbath, a time of rest, can be a path through the woods, a path that finds your place again, to remember who you are and invite you to see in a new way. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word that challenges us, but also comforts us. We pray, Lord, that there would be moments in our life that we would remember who you are, that the world doesn't belong to us, that our life doesn't even belong to us. Let us find rest in your hands, and may let us, let us offer that rest to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.